Well, <laughs> we haven't recorded a podcast episode in like a month. Yeah, it's real weird. I was like getting ready and I was like, wait, how do I do this again? We were getting, we were so organized in December and now it's January and we're like, we don't know what we're doing. It's okay. But uh, neither does anybody else, Sarah. Yeah, it feels like this <laughs> week just flying by the seat of our pants is how romance does the thing. <laughs> Oh, I guess we should welcome everyone to Faded Mates before uh, we dig into the bed of weeds that we're uh, going to garden. Yeah, we're not going to talk a whole lot about what's going on in romance, except that it's a shit show. Yeah. And you can really just Google it and read about it in any national newspaper. <laughs> yeah, that's the part that's real wild. It's like I have like, you know, friends of mine who, like, text me and are like, I just heard about something going on in romance on NPR. And I was like, yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. There are about 83 things that really fucking piss me off about this whole <laughs> debacle. But in the top, like, five, probably, is the fact that we get one bite of the apple romance every year for a yeah. respectful, long-form, critical look at the genre. <laughs> And today it's, come on, girls. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Mm. And the reality is, like, I don't blame them. We deserve it. Like, the news media yeah. is shredding romance right now for what's happening at the Romance Writers of America, um, which is the largest membership organization for romance writers. For writers. Yeah, I saw that. I think it's the largest membership organization, like, around writing. But the reality is that the true member, like... There are a lot of associate members of RWA, like agents yeah. and librarians and booksellers. Yeah. Um, for those of you who do not follow the Romance News, we will put some links in show notes so, so you can uh, be brought up to speed. There is a really tremendous timeline that's being uh, pulled together by a woman named Claire Ryan. Oh, yeah. Who uh, I have known for almost a year because Claire was in charge of pulling together or helped us pull together all the documentation for the copy-paste Chris plagiarism case last year. Um, it feels like the start of the year is always really fun in my house. Lots of conversations about lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> Although this particular thing is not mine. I'm just mad about it. So, yeah. Well, um, but anyway, the RWA censured Cor Courtney Milan right before the Christmas, um, right before the holiday uh, for calling someone out for a book um, that was real racist and yeah. uh, turned out that was some bullshit. <laughs> and, yeah. and since then, it's been a real trash fire. I mean, the RWA has rescinded, the board has rescinded that punishment, the punishment or in the censuring of Courtney. Um, we've discovered that the board is basically run. Oh, well, Eight members of the board, all women of color, resigned from the board. Right. The president of the board resigned. Um, we are now operating with an organization that appears to be run by, I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> like my dog, <laughs> two eight-year-olds in a trench coat. And, and the Home Alone robbers. <laughs> I have this old vacuum cleaner that's broken. If Dwight doesn't work out, maybe that could be manager. Yeah. <laughs> we don't really know. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I've been thinking a lot about why 
like sort of like why why should non-writers care? Yeah. And I think one of the things that is really clear is that um we talk a lot about how important it is like you know we need diverse romance and own voices authors and like like if you love romance you want to hear all kinds of stories. And the racism that is so, like, baked into the RWA staff and, and like, the structure of it at this point has made it so that a lot of amazing writers cannot get their books into our hands. Yeah. And that should make all of us real fucking angry because I want to read those books. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) RWA, what has become clear is that RWA is just a microcosm. And it's not alone. A lot of organizations right now are just microcosms of much, much larger issues. But RWA right now is the is a microcosm of like pervasive racism in publishing and in the world, in media. Yeah, exactly. And um, what is coming to bear or what's coming out every two seconds, it feels like. It feels like you walk away from Twitter for three hours and like 12 years <laughs> have gone by. And um, what's coming out is the just sort of a general story upon story upon story upon story of – um, women of color, marginalized writers, just being um, blocked at every turn uh, yeah. by the organization, all while um, the mouthpieces of the organization were saying, like, we're pro-inclusivity, we're doing the work. And I mean, I guess this is the place for me to say, like, I feel I feel complicit in some way because last year I hosted the Rita's. And I brought together a group of really remarkable writers to write a ceremony that was incredibly inclusive, I think, and really forward thinking. And we built, we put together two hours of celebrating the truth about romance and the truth about the women who were there and men who were there who started it and uh, the marginalized authors and uh, particularly black women who were there at the beginning Mm -hmm. um, and set a sort of very clear stake in the ground to say, this is a new beginning. We start fresh now and move forward. And I've said this to Jen privately and I'll say it publicly right now. I feel like that organization, I feel like that ceremony and the work that we did with that ceremony wrote a check that the organization not only couldn't cash, a check that the organization was never intending to cash. Right. And I feel that um, after those – so if you are listening and you are a member who um, was at that – at that Rita ceremony and felt like you were seen and felt like it was enough that you were moved to rejoin the organization or join it for the first time, I apologize. Yeah. I apologize that I put you in harm's way. Yeah. The thing I I, th- I think a lot about is, and this is like, like, again, like looking into the future. I um, was invited by some really lovely people that um, a woman I used to work with and her husband. So they're, and she's since retired. So this couple is in their seventies, maybe even close to 80 now. And her husband belongs to this little like literary society in Chicago. I have no idea what the name of it is. And I don't want to like, it was, and he invited me to come like, Oh, we're looking for like new members. And I went and it was like a lot of, 70 and 80 year old people in a room. And it was clearly an organization that was like looking around and saying like, Hey, we're dying out. Cause we didn't reach out to people who could have been part of this organization and make a place for them and be welcoming to them 25 years ago or 30 years ago. And now it's too late. 
Like it's, you know, this is not going to be the organization for me. And I feel like what RWA has done is essentially put themselves on that path. Whatever is left of that organization now will have no incentive, no one young or, or like looking to write about like now and where we are now as a country or a world or where women are now or where marginalized people are now are going to be wanting to be part of that organization. And so that's the part that's like really, yeah, just, it's, it's almost like, what do you, what are you thinking is going to happen here? I mean, it's, even if you could set aside the sort of institutional issues, the politics of the of the conversation, even if and and I don't think it, that's possible at all. But at its core, romance is a genre that's about emotion. Yeah. And in order to truly, truly depict to write a really great romance, one of the romances that Jen and I talk about every week, yeah. you have to be able to move and write and think with empathy. Mm -hmm. And that's job one of a romance writer. It is not job one of a thriller writer. It is not job one of a sci-fi writer. But for a romance writer, we work in the kind of soft, gooey places where emotion is queen. And feelings. It's all feelings. And the reality is, is that People who have empathy are not going to join the RWA right now. No. And that means we are losing all the best writers of the genre. For sure. Um, And I say that, I mean, I I probably will be unpopular for saying that, for like saying, if you stay, you're probably not one of our best. And people will probably say to me, well, does that mean like – you know, a white lady can't be best. No, it doesn't. Of course it doesn't. But it means a thinking person, a person with emotions and heart and feelings, somebody who thinks about their craft, the craft of romance writing really thoughtfully. I can't see how we stay. I think a lot of white women stayed in RWA because they really thought okay, I am interested in moving forward. I'm going to work on this. I'm going to try and be better. And the organization has now made it clear that that's no, no longer on the table. No. So if you stay right now, I mean, and I mean, I know like staying means not quit immediately when you hear this, right? Like oh, yeah, we were just talking, we right? Like vote. We need you to vote. Yeah. We were talking about like what it means, like what this is going to mean in a year or two years. But, you know, in five years, RWA is It's almost impossible for me to imagine it will be anything, but I mean, I've been calling it a Klan rally, and I know that seems like a lot, but it really feels really ugly there right now in a way that— It really does feel terrible. It feels—I'm really ashamed of it. Like, I think that's the thing. Like, you know, if you spend any time on Twitter, any um, significant—if you have any significant, like, footprint on Twitter and think about—and, like, are are on Twitter a lot— I don't mean yeah. followers. I mean, like, participatory Just reading yeah, experience exactly. on Twitter. You know that sort of feeling when you start to see a dust up. I mean, Jen and I text each other all the time. Like, <laughs> oh, shit. Did you see what this what's happening right now? You start to see, like, a dust up and you sort of have this, like, kind of like, Oh, I'm gonna sit back with popcorn. You're that you're that gif of Stephen Colbert just like putting popcorn in his mouth, <laughs> right, right? Right. This doesn't feel like that. This is really sad. 
This yeah. feels like a betrayal and it feels like it's harmful and it feels like it goes against everything that I believe about this genre. Um, yeah. You know, and I'm not a Pollyanna. I I mean, I get it. There there are bad, some bad people write romance. Like, it, when it's a pool this big, of course, there are bad people who write romance. And they write bad romances and they write romances that I don't agree with. But the reality is, like, I didn't think there were that many of us. And there are a lot of us. There are a lot of us. I mean, that's probably yeah. Pollyanna-y. Like, I mean, of course there are. Well, I think this is where, like, we go back to, like, a couple of things. One is, like, after 2016, right, that election, like, 50, 53% of white women voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. So this is not something that we should really be surprised at. And, in fact, you know, this is where, like, I don't know. Like, I think we really all want to believe in forward progress. And even that's like a privilege, right? To just be like, but so many people are working on it as opposed to like so many people who are actively like, what can I do to put on the brakes? Yeah. But in this case, like we had the most diverse board ever in the history of RWA. We had, um, you know, eight women of color. We had a queer man as president-elect. Like it should on paper look like it was working in the right direction. Like we did everything on paper right. And yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that's all terrible. And hopefully, so just to bring everybody up to speed, I mean, I don't know. This comes out Wednesday. We're recording it on Saturday. So who knows? We could all be dead by then. Um, but <laughs> the, the reality is, is that as of right now, hopefully there will be a recall election. I mean, hopefully the board will come to their senses and uh, ask for the resignation of Damon Swade. Hopefully Damon Swade will come to his senses and just resign like a normal person would because he doesn't get paid and it's a one-year gig and he's ruining his career. But you would hope, Sarah. You would you know, hope. Uh, Lord, deliver me from the intellect of men. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't pretend to understand them. Yeah. So... um Anyway, so uh, the hope is obviously those two things would be easiest, but there is a petition for a recall election, which is why Jen and I would really appreciate it if you would not resign your membership to RWA just yet. We'd like you to stick (laughs) around and vote in the recall. And that is politics with Jen and Sarah today. (laughs) Um, Well, we're really not here to talk about this stuff. Romance is political. Let us show you how. It is. But I'm curious about whether this romance is political <laughs> we're talking about. Well, it's ironic because <laughs> at some point you're going to remind me about the third book in this trilogy, which actually there's like one line in it where it just really destabilizes the whole great Grace and Sane character for me, which we'll talk oh, about at boy. the end. Okay. Yes. So, all right. We're talking about everyone. We've already welcomed you to Faded Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. Jen. I'm Jen. Prokop is with me. Jen. Jen. Jen reads romance is with me. Friend of the pod. <laughs> um, Jen. Jen bin, binge watched the entire season of uh, RWA implodes last week oh, and God. didn't do as much reading anyway. as she wanted. <laughs> so yeah. And we are talking about Born in Ice this week. And we were supposed to talk about it like five weeks ago, but we keep doing a misdirection with you and saying we're going to talk about Born and Nice oh wait we're going to talk about this other thing instead things so, happen but we are it's actually okay. talking about Born and Nice this week um, we hope you enjoyed last week's episode which was pegging and if you didn't listen to it you absolutely should because it's delightful 
Um, but Nora Roberts's Born and Ice is the second book in her Irish Born trilogy. And it was published in 1995 by yeah. La Nora, as Romance Landia likes to call her. 1995 was like a big year for 93, us. 94, 95. Something was in the water in Romance Land. Yeah. Um, but Jen picked this book. And I did. I am interested in hearing her say why. <laughs> yeah. So it's here's what's funny. I don't really remember necessarily when I first read this, although I don't think it was probably 1995. My guess is it was probably... You know, I, I in the couple of years between then and like the turn of the century, um, which is now twenty years ago. The turn of the <laughs> century. Oh my god! As I know. I couldn't. I really felt I couldn't feel any older after the thirty-two Bam. years that the last three days of my life have been. But the You're turn of the century hurts a little. <laughs> Back in the 20th century. (laughs) I definitely read a lot of, a lot of Nora Roberts. Like, I don't think I was as diehard as other people in the way that I, like, you know, I, 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 like, there's a couple that I kind of specifically remember. So I remember reading and rereading this one a lot. Um, I definitely read the first and third of this trilogy, but they this is the one that really spoke to me, and I, I think I know why. Um, I The last Nora Roberts I really read were um, probably that Bride Quartet. Uh-huh. The McGregor Brides? No, it was like four women who owned a... Oh, yeah, a wedding Like plan. a bridal shop. Yeah. Right. And my yeah. guess is that was... I don't... I, my internet is down, so I can't tell you when that was. But my guess is probably that was... Maybe 2005. Um, I'm not sure. And I actually, I know why this book spoke to me. So there are a couple things and I want to, and I want to, at this point, you know, when I was reading this, I would have been dating my now husband because we actually met in 1995. But I, um, I, he was like my first boyfriend. I married my first boyfriend. Now, he was not like my, I met him when I was 21 or 22. So it's not like my childhood sweetheart in that way. Like I had graduated from college. But I um, really felt like deep in my soul. And I know a lot of women do that sense of like, there's no one out there for me. Now that I say that now and I looking back, I'm like, and then I met my husband when I was 22 and I was ridiculous, but I didn't date really at all through college. I just Mm -hmm. like couldn't get it together. And I think that one of the things that really spoke to me about this book was um, Brianna as a character who was just really like lonely, but determined to make a life for herself that was going to be that was it wasn't going to matter like she wasn't going to let that like get to her right but she really felt that and i felt like there was a i i'm i, I don't know people have probably figured this out i'm a big character reader i will forgive a lot of things in a book if a character really speaks to me and i think that this book when i reread it i have not read it probably since the turn of the century i don't i mean maybe not i probably read it Stop i know saying i keep saying that. i know i'm <laughs> ear holes fine no one is allowed to say that ever again <laughs> i'm just saying but i think that i 
it that's it. I so I think part of it was like this like this really sent and one of the other things I was thinking about, and we'll talk about this as we get into talking about the book, is like the pacing of it is she's really allowed that like loneliness really fills the space for a, a big part of the beginning of the book. This is not like a bam, they meet, right? It's it's really um, a slow, I wouldn't even call it a slow burn because I'm not even sure that that's what it is, but just like her, her sense of who she is and what she wants and what her life's going to be like. I think there's a lot of that on page in a way that you don't really see anymore. So I think that was probably the big draw. But then I would also, I think we're going to maybe spend some time talking about Catholicism today. Because Mm. back when we talked about priest, and I was like, this isn't the Catholicism in this book. It's not like speaking to me. The Catholicism (laughs) in, in this book really did. This sense that like everything about her life was really like... Because I went to a Catholic college. Yeah. So, like, the the oppressive nature, the judgment, the way that women were expected to act, um, that really, I think, spoke to me, too. That sense, that would have been a part of my life where I was really still, like, actively, like, shaking that off mm-hmm. in a way that's now, it's, like, completely gone and has been for years. And I think, like, reading this again, a lot of that just, like, really came back to me, like, how how confining that felt and how much I hated that feeling and how much I resented it. Um, That like mix of like duty and, and it was so rigid, you know? So I would say that's probably why I picked it and why it was a book that blooded me. I was like, wow, this is a, it, I just really, that meant something to me. It really did. Well, and I don't know if this is accurate, but I, want to make sure I want to say it because I feel like the one thing so all right I'm I think it's time for me to confess I am <laughs> not a Nora Roberts reader I think I read a bunch of Nora Roberts books when she was writing for Silhouette because um my sister subscribed to Silhouette Intimate Moments Ooh, I remember those days Yeah they they were the big the thick ones with the white spine Oh yeah um and I and so I'm certain that I read Nora Roberts then. There's a book called Gabriel's Angel that I remember that has like two blonde beauties in ski jackets <laughs> at the bottom of a hill. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but it was a long time. Um, by the time we were in the like early 90s, I was full historical all the time, mostly. Oh, okay. I mean, like, Interesting. Not wrote a couple of contemporaries that I would read. Like, I would read, like, if there was an, a historical author who was also writing contemporaries, I would read them. Or if there was, but for some reason, like, Nora Roberts is like a kind of a black hole of <laughs> just like it happens. I, she's, she's written 250 books, and I, and I have read maybe 15 of them. Yeah. So, and I've read in Which, the f- <laughs> I'm going to pause and say that you and I are like, ooh, embarrassing to admit this. And everyone else is like, these bitches, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, it feels like you should at least have read 10% of any author's catalog. <laughs> oh, God. We're Name like the author. so I've wrong. I've read 10% of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's so like the best I thing that's ever happened. Never read. I never read this series. I never read this trilogy. Um, and so coming and also like 
I've never, I've read the, I've read the first, I read Naked in Death. So like I knew about even Rourke. Like, I, so, you know, yeah. I read, I read, I, I read that because I was like, I have to know, I have to know what these in-depth, in-depth books are. Yeah. And, and so for me, like, it feels like Nora is one of these people who's like so big and so larger than life that like you, so I sort of know Nora's work without having to really know Nora's work. Yeah, so this sure. was really fun for me to like yeah. read a book by by her for this purpose, like to really dig deep, and also like to think critically about like what makes these books tick. Yeah. And right. one of the things that I think is really and so like that's where I'm going to come from. I'm I'm interest interestingly I think for everybody like I'm coming at this book as like a like a neophyte. I don't know what to expect from a Nora Roberts book because I don't actually yeah. remember them from youth. So you know what I'll say? I'll like make a little quick pause to tell you something yeah. funny, which is I people know I teach middle school, and so there's a certain amount of like reading I'm doing like for kids. And at some point, sometimes people ask me, like, oh, have you read? And it's, like, some, like, real popular book. And I am less likely to read the really popular books because the kids already know about them. Yeah. So if I'm reading for work, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying YA isn't a great read. It's just, like, work for me, right? Is if I'm reading for work, I'm often trying to read on like the margins because I really want to be able to like recommend things to kids that they haven't heard before. I hate mm -hmm. to say this. I mean, I'm sure The Hunger Games is a real fantastic story. There's no point <laughs> in me reading The Hunger Games. I don't need to read The Hunger Games because they already all know yeah. about that one. And I feel yeah. like in some ways it's almost like what Nora Roberts is it now. You know, she ends up with the cinnamon roll is fine. I've never, yeah, I've never read. <laughs> you won't like it. She ends up I with know. the cinnamon roll. <laughs> Damn it. I've, I've never read In Death or any of that series. Also, because I'm a little intimidated by the fact that there's fucking 50 Well, of there them. are like 5,000 of them. I mean, this is the other, the other thing. When people write this fast, you're like, oh God, I can't keep up. I can't keep up. I just, I, I'm declaring Norma Roberts bankruptcy. <laughs> like, I can't yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> um, okay, but here's – but I want to go back to what you were saying about, like, the Catholicism in this book. Yeah. Um, I also think that there's something to be said for the fact that she kind of, like, gives voice in this book to – like, at one point, the hero is like, oh, Catholic guilt. Yeah, I've heard of it. It's ridiculous, right? Yeah. There's a whole subplot in this book that's about, like, how they're – father i mean it's a subplot that basically is teeing up the third book in the series but how their father had a mistress or had a love affair right. with somebody else and she was pregnant and she left and she went to new york and like it was this long distance like he couldn't leave their awful mother i want to talk about how awful the mother is too. oh but god like, yeah for sure he couldn't leave their awful mother because they were married and catholic and like yeah. And at one point, and, like, the the character, the heroine's sister, I think, like, gives voice to this kind of, like, why the fuck couldn't he leave? Like, his happiness right. should not have been tied up in, like, what some church tells him to do. So, like, I think there's something subversive going on here with the church, um, which I think is really challenging for when you think about, I mean, there's something really cool about that coming from Nora Roberts who, right. you know, is so, you know, when you think about the other piece of this puzzle, and, like, we have to talk, obviously, about, like, Nora as zeitgeist, but, like, yeah. she is 
so huge. And she transcends romance. You know, we've talked about how Lord of Scoundrels transcends romance and like other things transcend romance. But like Nora transcends romance in like a real like media way. Um, Oh, yeah. Everyone's heard of her. Like, oh, yeah, people like people who've never picked up a romance novel who somehow have never like noticed that romance novels exist. No, Nora Roberts is. is. Um, And partially it's because she's so prolific and partially it's because she is because um, she's so successful. Sure. I mean, at any you're the USA Today, like bestseller list queen. But like at any given time, there are Nora, oh there is a Nora Roberts. There is at least one, at least five Nora Roberts books on that list. Oh, so many. Um, she is like her name is constantly, constantly, constantly in the world. In when you talk about publishing, there's like Stephen King and John Grisham and Nora Roberts. And like, right. You know, these are the. The, the deans of the genre and right. of the of of literature. Um, and so I think and you also think about if you're in romance, you sort of know the story of Nora. Nora has this like really remarkable kind of origin story that comes from, you know, being stuck in the blizzard of 1978 in her like West in her Maryland, like West Maryland, like right on the border of West Virginia. She lives in a town called Boonesboro where she owns the, now she owns the hotel and the pizza joint and the, you know, gift shop and the bookstore. But like then she just lived there with her husband and her two kids who were like under six. And there was a week long blizzard or they were (laughs) snowed in for a week. And she thought she was going to die of dealing with kids (laughs) for a week. And I mean, who among us? And she was like, fuck this. I'm going to write a book. And I mean, like, I've always side-eyed this story a little bit because I have a six-year-old. And I'm like, what? What six-year-old leaves you alone for a week? (laughs) But okay. (laughs) And then she decided and she wrote her first book and she mailed it off to the publisher. And so began this career that was very sort of like a fine contemporary category romance career until her best friend plagiarized her quite egregiously um and it's a wild story it's wild we'll put links in the show notes to this story it's really tragic i mean like yeah she as you can probably tell from listening if you've listened to us for any length of time you know that like most of my closest friends are romance writers and that's because this is a weird job that like no one really understands and you really need to surround yourself with people who get it and understand right. like how the job works and how the life is. Um, and I think, and I can't imagine how much harder that was in the seven late seventies and early eighties when like there wasn't the internet, you couldn't just find people online on Twitter and like become friends with them. You actually like had to, you had to cultivate friendships in a really different way. And yeah. um, the story goes that she and Janet Daly were very, very good friends, like best friends. And one day she got a letter from a reader saying, Janet Daly has plagiar like this book by Janet Daly that just came out plagiarizes yeah. your book that came out, you know, months ago. And so began the kind of downfall of Janet Daly and the rise of Nora. And I mean, I don't want this to feel as though um, it's mercenary in any way. I think I think it just—it was such a shocking story. It, yeah, you know, there was—it was litigious. There was a long, protracted legal battle, and like tearful, 
you know, tearful, tearful explanations on the part of Janet and, you know, everyone in romance took sides. And it there was a lot of discussion. Ironically, this week, there was a lot of discussion about how Nora wasn't being nice. Like Nora had to be nicer because poor Janet Mm. was going through some stuff. Um, And Nora was like, (laughs) fuck that. Like if that's my work, I will say now, like I have I have. I've signed at Nora's. Nora has been very gracious and and invites uh, authors to come sign with her um, four times a year in Boonesboro, Maryland. And it's remarkable. It's like romance mecca. You know, people line up for hours to get into this signing. And it's really magnificent. And it's like no experience that I've ever had before. But um, I've signed with her a few times, uh, twice now in her store. And she is take no prisoners, like speaks incredibly frankly like she she has no fucks to give and i don't think that's because she's rich and famous now i think that's because that's who she is and you can see it in the writing yeah um and then on top of it i think um so i i think she you know she rightly said like these are my books this is my work this is who i am like you're taking my words and um, ironically, interestingly, uh, this time last year, I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but like Nora and I and Courtney Milan and many others, Tessa Dare and Cressley Cole and many, many others were all plagiarized by the same person. Um, and when this happened, Nora, you know, really yeah. took the lead in making sure that we all understood that how that the hurt that we were feeling in that moment was very authentic and real. And she kind of mama bared us all into like fighting yeah. together. <laughs> Against- <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's it. Like she's, she's fierce. Like she is out there. And I, I think that a lot of people really like respect and admire her being like the grand dame of romance in some ways. And I think there is something admirable. Like, I think the other pieces, you know, we've talked also on this podcast about like, never meet your idols. Like you're never quite sure what somebody's going to turn out to be when you meet them in person or when you spend time with them or when, you know, they have access to the internet. And um, I think Nora has really proven herself as being somebody who like has a real like point of a true north point of view like she believes in things that are right and things she believes things are right and wrong and she stands on the side of right this week you know she she stood on she she stood up she said rwa is doing the wrong thing again she told a story about why she'd left rwa years ago um she she stood with courtney um and she was you know the first of many of the first of the sort of huge names to do that um, yeah. J.R. Ward quickly followed. Um, and I, and I'm not sure it was following, but it, you know, Nora came out one day and J.R. Ward came out the next, but it, I, I think I've always felt like Nora is incredibly straightforward and there's something really great about that. But yeah, what I will say is that in the books, the books are straightforward and there's something yes. kind of great about that too. Like, oh, as yeah. I was reading this. I was like, oh, I get it. I get why people love these books. I get why she is so big. Yeah, but we should talk about the book. We got complainy. We got a complaint. <laughs> Some gentle feedback, Sarah. Uh, yeah. Well, we're running a, a survey. We'll talk about it at the end of the book, at the end of the um, episode. But uh, somebody said they really wish that we talk more about the plot at the beginning of this of the episode so that people would understand. Well, it's 30 minutes into the episode, but it's fine. It's more like 40 minutes into the episode, but it's fine. (laughs) So we're we're going to get to the plot. Let's get to the plot. 
Um, it's actually pretty, I mean, well, this is where you're like, this is simple and easy. So Grayson Thane is a famous American writer of like mysteries and thrillers, murder mysteries. And he arrives at, uh, one night at a, like he's booked essentially a room at a bed and breakfast on the coast of Ireland or whatever. Right. And in this little town and Brianna Kincannon is the woman who runs the bed and breakfast and owns the house. And they, like, they fall in love. And it, that's it. That's the story. <laughs> yeah, there are little, there are, like, slight twists and turns. Like, very minor sure. twists and, and, a, and like, a kind of a gentle turn. <laughs> but it's yeah. really what's crazy about this book is it's like Gentle Rogue, right? Like, yeah. There just isn't, there isn't much of a plot. It's two truly decent people, like, yeah. being right. decent to each other. Like, and, and like it, trying to figure this shit out. That's exactly what I it is. And I feel a little bad because it's making it sound like, well, why would I want to read it? But, like, the truth is, so Brianna, Jen has already talked about, when she talked about why the book worked, like, she talked about Brianna. So we know where Brianna's at. And I think there's also this really interesting piece. Brianna's a dichotomy, right? Because, which is actually, this is what I think Nora Roberts does incredibly well, is the book is entirely character. Right. So I'm not oh, surprised yes. Jen, that this was your favorite book when you were young. And now, like, all you care about in romance is like motivation and like how characters rot and where they came from and their yep. backstory and like, you know, what moves them. Um, because th- that's all this, that's all these books are, right? Like, Grayson that's has all this, this very, book like, is. Oh, yeah. Tragic backstory about his mother who was a prostitute and like he was raised in an orphanage. He was raised he in a gutter. died in a fire. <laughs> And, like, it's all very, like, tragic. And that has caused him to be the kind of person who, like, refuses to think about roots because roots don't grow. Like, in his experience, roots are a fallacy, right? But, of course, Brianna is struggling with this whole sense of, like, you kind of sort of feel like her whole life is about roots. Like, her sister's pregnant and in love. She's, like, literally building a greenhouse. (laughs) Like, all she is is, like, planted into the earth in every single way food and all she wants to do is caretake and she runs this bed and breakfast and like she her mom's awful but she like takes care of her and like she's she's grieving her father and her then suddenly she's grieving her father's like long lost love and then suddenly she's Mm -hmm. looking she's like we have to find our half sister and her sister is like what (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I sort of love that right I didn't read the first book in this trilogy but I assume it's about the sister and who's like a glassblower and an artist and like super cool and very like I don't know do we want to find our sister and (laughs) no and I really I like there's something and so here so it's the sort of perfect it's that um you know that old saying that like if your heroine is a is a firefighter if your hero is a firefighter your heroine's better be an ar- had better be an arsonist and right. like that's what's going on here like in a gentle way you're looking at somebody who like refuses to acknowledge that family and roots and love can happen God, right. I love a hero who doesn't think love exists oh i know i think this that's part of it too right like this his whole just like <laughs> And this motherfucker doesn't even own a house. He basically owns, like, a storage closet in the city, in New York City, that he, likes puts shit in. And then he just travels all full-time. First of all, amazing. Second of all, I love that he doesn't doesn't think love exists. And she's like, I mean, the first time they have sex, she's like, I love you. (laughs) I I mean, but here's the 
other thing about this book, it's real old fashioned. And oh, it's God, funny yes. because it's, it's 1995, but it feels so. God, it feels so old fashioned. Like, yeah. first of all, I mean, you barely ever see a virgin on the page in a contemporary romance novel now. And when you do oh, see yeah. a virgin on the page in a contemporary romance novel, it's like a thing that she is a virgin. Like, yeah. it's either like some kind of weird, I mean, like no kink shaming, huh. but kind of weird breeder book. Or it's like, <laughs> or it's like, I'm a virgin and I got to get this Oh, oh, gotta get rid of it. Yeah, right. No, totally. No, it's, I mean, and that's it. It, this is book is really old fashioned in a way that feels, you know what though? Here's the thing. I, it doesn't feel silly to me because, because they're both really like dignified characters. And I know that seems like a weird word, but it's like they take themselves seriously and they take who they are and what they believe seriously. And so we take it seriously too. Yeah, but also there's it's really I I kept thinking stylistically, right? Like so oh, yeah. I opened this book, I read the prologue. Um and oh. which actually shouldn't be a prologue, it should be chapter 1. I know. I, I was like why, why is it was this a prologue, chapter but fine, one? like it's fine. <laughs> so I read the prologue and uh, and it feels very like it it opens and it's like the Irish mist and the sea and the cold and the bleakness. Right. But also it's, you know, like Ireland, so it's beautiful. And then I'm like, and I'm like, what the fuck am I reading? Like some sort of like, is this old? Is this historical? What am I reading? And then like, I know it's like two sisters sitting in a house and I'm like, oh, okay. It's, it's not, it's contemporary and it's 1996, but also at the same time, like that old fashioned, it's like, it's like out of time, this story a little bit, like at Mm -hmm. least for the first half when he's in Ireland before they go to New York. Yeah, because the thing. All right, we're we're derailing the plot here, but like essentially, they're in. I gave the plot in one sentence. It's fine. (laughs) I know he's a writer. He comes to Ireland to write his book. Right? It's cold in January, and nobody fucking goes to Ireland in January for a month. But so there's plenty of room in this bed and breakfast. So he (laughs) goes and he writes a book in this bed and breakfast, and then and they like sort of do day trips, and then uh, he takes her to New York. And then in New York, they, like, eat a hot dog and, like, buy a necklace. (laughs) And then they go back to Ireland. So, I mean, so it's very, like, but until they get to New York, like, until he pulls her out of Ireland, right? Yeah. It feels really old-fashioned to the point where, like, she doesn't know, like, he makes a Star Wars reference and she doesn't get it. Oh, yeah. And, it's like, wild. He references Eloise living at the plaza and she doesn't know what that is. And yeah. like and then there's this whole like kind of very quiet mystery in the background that's like thrown in for color. And, <laughs> well, yeah, sure. I mean, something has to move the plot around. Right. I mean, right. I was like, wow, it's a lot. And uh, because and this part's for real. But like there's no Internet. For them. Yeah. So she's like part of like her father's dead and she finds a stock certificate for 10,000 shares in some mining company in Wales. And he's like, 
And suddenly, like, the men in the story, like, the husband from the book before and him are, like, talking about it. And they're like, well, how will we figure out what's the deal with this mining company? (laughs) And, like, you sort of have this moment where you're like, fucking Google it, you asshole. (laughs) I know. Right? And then you realize, like, oh, no, this is contemporary romance in 1995. There's no Googling. And you start. And I just had this moment where I was like, romance, contemporary romance in 2019 or 2020. Happy New Year, everyone. And contemporary romance in 1995 is, they are, I mean, it's bananas how different they are. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. The part where he, I want to talk about him as a writer because I thought you would like that part. The part where he, (laughs) she's like, the part where he has his book on like floppy disks. I was like, oh, oh, there's so much, right? There's so much he smokes. He, oh like, god like a chimney it's like he's right up, it's when was the last time you saw a smoker on page i know it's and, and smoking really without wild. her being like that's fucking nasty you need to stop now i tell my students all the time i'm like if you see a character smoking in a movie they're probably a villain it's often a shortcut for villainy now yeah yeah and so and oh yeah i mean it's really they don't use yeah. birth control Hello, not even a single mention of it. Not, not even, even like, except did you, so here's what's really funny. So did, you, did this happen to you? No, probably not because you're so thoughtful and like, you know, cool. But I was reading it. I was reading along and they have, all, the, once they start having sex, they have sex all the time. <laughs> all end the of, time. And of every chapter they're having sex, which is fine. Totally for it. Here for it. Right. Be- bone the hot writer. I get it. So then also. I hope he washed his hands first. No, <laughs> no writer is this hot. <laughs> just gonna say i was like are you so mad that motherfucker wrote his entire book in like three three months or whatever well first of all of course he did in a fugue state at one point he's like he just stayed up for three days and wrote the whole thing and had 100 pages and i was like fuck off i know i was like sarah's gonna be real mad at this yeah um so no but so whatever they have sex all the time which is great and the whole time i was like great they're having lots of sex it's so good i'm so excited this is perfect this is perfect and they didn't really make a huge thing about the virginity, which is, I mean, there's like a huge thing before they bone, but then they bone and then it was just like, we're going to do, right. it's fine. So, so, and then there's a chapter that ends with him like coming, flooding her or something like he's oh, like, of course. he like ejaculates forcefully into her. And <laughs> that was the moment where I was like, wait, what? What? Wait, they haven't had what? They haven't been using protection this whole time. I know. Because I just assumed they had been. And then I was like, wait, maybe they had been. And now this is like a mistake ejaculation. We've all seen that done. This, I, this, I remember, and I'm, it, part of me though is like, I'm going to tell you, I remember. Like, the conversations, although part of me is like, I don't know how I remember them, because where the fuck were these conversations happening? Because they certainly weren't, there was no Twitter or Facebook or anything. But I remember when birth control started to happen on page, right? And clearly, this book was before, <laughs> or, but not really, I mean, or or there was, it wasn't consistent, right? It wasn't, like, consistent. But yeah, I was like, oh, not only do they not use it, they don't even mention it or talk about it. It's funny. It's like the technology and the birth control. I feel like maybe you could give me without me knowing when they were published a stack of books, and I would be Mm -hmm. able to put them in timeline order based on those two pieces of information. 
Absolutely. Because, of course, then I was like, well, now she's going to get pregnant. And she doesn't. That's what I thought, too. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, I was like, oh, my God, this is this is long before, you know, and then he's like, I slept with prostitutes when I was young. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) They (laughs) don't talk about testing. Like, none of it. It's was so wild. Oh, it was bizarre. It was a bizarre experience reading this book. As a contemporary. Right. So you have to read this as a historical. (laughs) Well, I think that's like also like a really interesting question, which is, and you and I've talked about this, like there, I think that there's some point at which contemporaries start to feel like contemporaries. Even if you go back to 2005 or whatever. And this though, like this 1990, right? right, This one does not yeah. And so I feel like it's really it's but it, you know what I'm going to it, gonna, it I, feels like it's in the DNA of it, right? Like it feels yeah, like it's because sure. Nora came up through silhouette intimate moments where you know, in Gabriel's Angel, the two people are standing at the foot of the mountain. Like you yeah. just sort of it feels like it's a different school of romance. And you know, Jen, I was thinking about this the whole time I was reading it this week. I was thinking about the 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 crazy fights that are happening on the RWA boards and the publicly about how, you know, if only Courtney Milan hadn't come for a book that was published, you know, in the 90s at the turn of the century, yeah. <laughs> then maybe it would all be different. But like old books should be off limits. And from criticism. And I was thinking, yeah. like, first of all, I mean, I, I'll, we'll link to – I did a big thread about this, and I'm not going to repeat myself, but, like, I did a big thread about this, and we'll link to it. But the reality is, like – The past is a grotesque animal And in its eyes you see How completely wrong you can be You can still – in fact, Jen, do it, Jen and I do it every week, and we're doing it right now. You can still say, like – wow, this book doesn't use birth control. And wow, I would punch my brother-in-law in in the face if I heard him talking about my pregnant sister's diet, right? Like, which is how this book begins. Like, there are... Oh, my gosh, right, sure. Like, old contemporaries, like, Courtney Courtney was absolutely correct about an old historical, but old contemporaries are going to have all this stuff in them. And, like... We are so forgiving of them because we get it. Like, it was 1995, and Nora came up through silhouette intimate moments, and we understand the history, and we've all read these romances, and we all cut our teeth on these romances, and it's okay. Like, it's okay that this stuff is in there, because now Nora comes out and says, like, hey, I left RWA over romances between a man and a woman, and, like... Courtney Milan's right. Racist shit is bad. And I'm sorry if I ever hurt you. And like, yeah. Okay, cool, Nora. (laughs) Yeah. I think the thing that's like kind of amazing about it too is, I mean, it's, and it's, I mean, there's problematic things throughout the text. I also highlighted something where um, they're talking about clothes for her sister's baby. And Grayson's like shit talking them because they're going to turn the baby boy into a sissy. And I was like, what the fuck did I just read? Right. So I feel like that kind of thing. Yeah. It's like we're not excusing it, but like you, I think we're capable of like being like, yes, that's there and it's a problem. And Mm -hmm. if I saw that, you know, and 
I, I get to decide as a reader whether or not I'm still going to engage with this text, right? And maybe right. some people got that far. I would not blame anybody who replied to us on when this drops and says, I read the first page where she fat shames her pregnant sister and I was out. I'd be like, yep, fine. Sold. Fair. I, I mean, I texted Jen, for the record, I texted Jen on the first <laughs> page and I was like, Jen, this book begins with fat shaming. And like, yeah. look, it's a different right? time. And yeah. I guess what I'm saying is reading through it, I was like, wow, contemporaries have a harder yeah. road to travel than historicals do. Because historicals, yeah. I mean, look, we're not perfect. We have a lot of problems, too. But like the in contemporaries, because it's designed to make you feel like it's happening today with you, every every single moment that feel where like it's an antiquated notion feels really antiquated. The technology thing, because I think what some authors try and do in contemporary romance is essentially, like, neutralize it as much as possible, right? Like, not really get into the specifics. Sure, because if you put Tinder on the page... Sure, like, what's what's that going to be in five years or ten years or whatever? But I will tell you, I actually appreciate the authors who just go for it, who are like, no, this is a contemporary romance, and this is where we are right now. And yes, Mm -hmm. it's going to be dated, but at least it will be dated in a way that, I don't know, like, it it, it is of its time, right? Like, there's like this, it's kind of like, I like it both ways. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting because I think... um, I I think some of the other books that we've chosen for the series, for the readings, are slightly more in that vein than in this one. Um, But I also can't help but think that part of that is the choice to write this book. There is a sort of mythology around Ireland that's so so clear. I mean, look, uh, Nora clearly feels deeply connected to Ireland. Yeah. And feels like Ireland has a magic like a, a sure. lot of people do a lot I mean many 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 people feel like the there's a mythology in Ireland that and there is there is a sort of yeah. mythology that comes from the sort of Irish existence I'm reading a nonfiction book right now um about the troubles called say nothing which is actually a pretty great read but it's really interesting how and I'm not Irish. No part of me is Irish, but I went to Villanova and like everybody was fucking Irish Catholic. And I even took a couple classes that were like specifically about Irish literature just because I liked the teacher. I did my fucking senior thesis on James Joyce. So like sort of that mythology of like the Irish like artist is mm-hmm. pretty interesting because in this book, it's it's that's like a big part of this is, you know, her sister is the artist. Grayson is an artist. And one of, like, her journeys as sort of a a character in this book is to, like, recognize the things that she does, right? Like, I think she – one of her Afghans shows up in her sister's galleries and, mm-hmm. like, the, the food that she makes and the, the way that she plants her garden. And I, I think I, this time around, really liked that, too, this idea that, like – yeah. The work you do to make the world beautiful is your art. And I I really liked the, kind of that dig, digging into that a little bit. I thought it was a nice touch. And that's the joy of, again, these Nora Roberts books, these Nora Roberts characters. The layering is so deft. And it's yeah. interesting because as I was reading, first of all, she, Cressley must have learned a bit from Nora because 
the chapters are the scenes are incredibly short. Yeah. You know, they last two or three pages at the most. And um, there is a lot of work that's done in the scenes that feels very every scene like on its surface feels almost unnecessary in the sense that um, it's like, okay, well, now we're in the kitchen and now we're looking at a car, which has a broken engine. And now we're talking. We've like walked across the moor. I don't know if it's called a moor in Ireland. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm so sorry. It's the moops. The correct answer is the moops. But we've walked across the moor and we've like now we're with her sister for a minute and the conversation starts and then suddenly there's a paragraph and it's like and they talked and talked until he left. And then such and such happened. And you're like, I don't, I like, I'm confused. In my head as a writer, I was trying to figure out like what she's doing here. Like, how is she pacing this book? Like, what is her, what's her work here? Like, because this is not how I write. (laughs) Those of you who've read a Sarah McLean novel know that my chapters are 20 pages long and they all are in one room. And the reality is that, like, what Nora is doing here is she is layering characters constantly. In one scene, we find out, like, how Grace, why Grayson takes walks, like, what he gets from them. We find out what he likes to eat. We find out what the sister is, how the sister is feeling about her pregnancy. We find out how the hero yeah. from the last, the sister's husband, feels about Grayson. We find out about the, you know, all the bits and pieces. And we find them all out in three pages. Because yeah. of the way Nora is moving characters and layering characters in scenes, which is why things like the Afghan, the, she lays so much, she paints so much. It's like, um, you know, there are those painters, the kind of, the contemporary artists who like, they use paint, but they use it in like really thick, like Mm-hmm. heavy like strokes and then they, and you have this moment where they're like under paintings and over paintings and like then the whole thing is covered by color and it feels like that's what Nora's doing there's like some contemporary artistry here that's yeah I've never seen before like I've never actually thought too hard about like the authors who write in this vein um and it is really powerful um because I think that's right by the end it really yeah builds to something well, and it reminds you over and over again that romance isn't really about anything but people. Yeah. And so everything that's there to move the, fo- the story for, and, you know, Lisa Kleypas said that to me not long ago, like, don't forget, like, no one really cares about anything but the people. Right. Right. And it's true. Like, we work yeah. so hard with character and pl- with plot and, like, and all the, and setting and, you know, all the things that get packed in there but ultimately if the characters aren't there they're not there and Nora does characters better than anyone but also because yeah. the books are so straightforward they're so com- they're so readable you don't have to work yeah that's i think a really interesting thing i want to talk about because i feel like um yeah reading this was somehow really um <sighs> I mean, it's just, like, smooth, right? And I think part of it is, and this is, I'm not claiming that people should go back to this, but we've talked a lot before about, like, a more modern way of showing point of view is to, like, do chapter by chapter. Mm -hmm. And this book is just, like, no. Whoever you need to know what's going on in their head right now, from the fucking sister to the neighbor to whoever, you're going to know. And I think what that does for the reader is, and I... 
there's like no guesswork, right? It's like a feeling of like being at a getting on a train and being taken on a journey. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's something really pleasing about it. And I, I it, that sounds like a critique or criticism, and I I don't think it's meant to be. I just think that it's like a really different way because if you have you know a character something happens in chapter one you're only getting one character's point of view and then we switch and the story continues that like the weight of those moments where you're seeing like those miscommunications or whatever happen in real time i think there's something really interesting about the way that there's there's like not a lot of guesswork it's a very pleasing story and yet, like you said, there's like a lot of like deep, like deep wells of emotion, right? And I think that that's the part that's like, how are you doing both of those at the same time? Right. You're showing well, me everything, and yet there's so much depth to it. It's kind of well, magical. It's so authentic. It just feels so honest and like yeah. very real, and and I and very simple, but deceptively so because emotions aren't simple right like it's a lot of work to write 400 pages of a book where the plot is basically like two nice people fall in love and it's interesting because i kept thinking about our cinnamon roll episode and other episodes where we've talked where i've basically said like why do i care about two nice people falling in love like (laughs) and i don't but i did here yeah (laughs) they're decent like grayson every time that fucker brings her a present i'm like oh I love him. <laughs> I know. I mean, and when the, he takes her to the restaurant and she's like, I need it. I'm memorizing I want the, menu the menu because, of course, she doesn't have a phone. And so and he's like, I'm memorizing the menu. And he's like, I'm going to get you one. And she's like, no, I'm not. And he's like, yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I just yeah. I love how like he's this sort of like mythological like caretaker who's never loved before. And, like, doesn't believe in love, but, like, when love comes for him, like, he just can't. And the writer in me, of course, loved the ending moment where he's, like, he was driving Dublin. He's, like, I can't figure (laughs) out the end of my book. I can't figure out the end of my book. I mean, like, it's a little heavy-handed, Nora, but I'm with you. And so, (laughs) but I I was for it. I was there for it. But when he's, like, and then he realizes, like, of course he can because he has to go back to her. And she's the end. She's the right ending of the book. And like, Oh, yeah, I know. And then he finishes the book, presumably, which is the best part of the whole book. <laughs> I mean, and, yeah. she, and, gets there and she's crying in her room because she refused to show him like she wanted the last gift yeah. she gave him to be like freedom. releasing yeah. him. Yeah. And then I didn't love the part where he was like, this is great. I was going to beg, but instead you're crying. And so that's <laughs> fine. And I was like, no, what? Beg. <laughs> you know what I liked about him, though? And this is like something I feel like I'm like, bring back noticing right there's a way in which he pays attention and he he even identifies that at one point he's like being a writer just means i have like lots of permission to be nosy but he also notices like one of my favorite moments in this book i mean there's a lot of them like the things i kept marking over and over again is you know one thing he says or they're like in the driveway and he's like how careful do you want to be about this Oh, I love that moment. And she's like, and it takes her a minute to figure out, like, this is what he's asking me. And she says, very, I think. And he 
he like not only noticed that she was apprehensive and just just like I'm gonna be straight with her, but like time and time again, like there's a part where he like makes her tea and she's like, I'll show you how to do it. And he's like, no, I've been watching. And I really liked that about him because I like people that pay attention. Right. I feel like it's a really undervalued like way of caring for people is just to like Mm -hmm. pay attention to them. And I think that that's the part about him that, you know, that's, even though he doesn't really believe in love, he does believe in like people and that's what really worked for him. And I just thought it was really, I don't know. I thought that was like a really, I was really struck by that. Right. He's not some big, terrible dude who's like stomping around and being a jerk all the time, but he just is really, he's like careful with people. Yeah. I mean, and can we also just talk about the fact that Nora's really fucking funny the dialogue is oh, yeah. really funny. The hero and like and her heroines do not stand for it. Like they yeah. she they talk back. They always have a retort. It's really great. It's really it's a really fun read. It's a really fun like good solid romance that you can yeah. read this week while you're not looking at Twitter. You know what I've I wrote down and I know this is like really silly cuz we talk about romance all the time but what this book felt to me was like ugh, this is so dumb it, you'll understand it felt romantic right mm-hmm. it felt yeah. like there was a way in which you know like the setting and the you know the the way in which he's you know her her lace curtains and her his like being up in the room and like hidden away and her him you know she's bringing him trays and I mean it just felt like there's something really like him whisking her off to New York like all of that to me just felt really like the old-fashioned part of it it's like that's what really struck me is this sense that he was like courting her well, it's the fantasy. It's pure oh, yeah. fantasy. Sure. And I mean, he's so rich. Also, no writer is this rich. <laughs> I mean, Nora. Nora is this rich. But I don't yeah, think she right. was this rich in 1995. <laughs> no. But um, she, where he's like, I've always toyed with buying a jet. I've sure. always, like... I just bought you a new car. He's like, we'll take the Concorde. It'll be fine. (laughs) I know. I know. I just, I mean, like, it is. It's a magnificent fantasy. It's like exactly, it's like, you know what it is, Jen? You said, you said it's romantic. Yes. It's pour a bubble bath, a glass of wine, and get in your tub with this book. And read this book. Yeah. And read it. Absolutely. And you'll read it in, uh, like, you'll read it, like, almost before the water gets cold. Like, yeah. It's such a it's such a relaxing book. Yeah. Yeah. There's something. And you know what? We talk a lot about books that like are hunting big game and books that are challenging yeah. and books that are no. trying to do something like this book is trying to make you happy. And like, yeah. God knows we need that. Well, and I think that's, that's it. I feel like that was like the, you know, we've talked about the promise of the premise mm-hmm. and I feel like the promise of the premise here is that like, She's going to you're going to find a home in this book just like he does. And there's something very like alluring about that. And at the same time, it's not that this home is perfect. I mean, her mother, like sort of the Catholicism, the the feeling of like push pull about um, 
like her sister and her like feelings of like both happiness and envy for her. But like I said, it's she's never it's like a deeply um, empathetic and like a deeply kind portrait of people who are imperfect, but like doing their best. Yeah. I liked it. Her mom, her mom was not doing her best. No, her mom's a garbage person. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I have to say about that. I know when they go to that effing wedding for like the two old people, like the aunt and uncle or whatever. And the mom is like the sin of fornication doesn't matter. And I was like, bitch, please like, wait, Uh, I was going to tell this like a really funny story. It's, I mean, so I got married in the year, I got married in the turn of the century, I got married in the year 2000, and one of my, a a friend of mine was getting married, like, six weeks before me, and at her wedding shower, we were, like, sitting around, and she and her, like, fiancé, at that point, had, like, moved in together, but she was, she couldn't tell her parents that, because they were real Catholic, Sure, who among us has not lied? Sure, but what I remember (laughs) thinking at that point in time was like, you're 28 fucking years old and about to get married, and you're, like, I remember being (laughs) dumbfounded by it, Sarah. Like, literally sitting at this wedding shower and being like, you're fucking kidding me right now. You have an MBA, (laughs) and you can't tell your parents that you moved in with your fiancé. I I. And I just remember wild. being like, it was wild. But it was wait. wild to me. Were you allowed to sleep in this same bed with Daryl when you were visiting your parents before you were married? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was not allowed to sleep in the same bed okay. with Eric at my right? parents' house. And I mean, like, it's bonkers. And also, like, we moved in together a lot. Like, we were not intending to get married. Like, we were going to be cool and not get yeah. married. So <laughs> we we dated for, like seven or eight years and we lived together for at least five years before we got married and my parents until the day we married were not did not allow (laughs) us to sleep together in their in their house and um one day uh we were and like to the point where it was it was real weird we moved into our first apartment and we didn't hide that we had moved in together but my dad came down to visit and he walked into our apartment and he like wouldn't sit on any of the furniture and i'm like convinced it's because in his mind he was like they're like well they've done it everywhere like i don't know like there's sin there's sin on the furniture so he just like stood around and then like two years after we got married my mom like slipped in conversation because my parents lived in New York City before they moved to Rhode Island. Um, yeah. You know, after they moved here from Europe, but before they moved to Rhode Island, they lived in New York City. And this, and so we were talking about like where they lived and like what, and while they lived in New York City, they were unmarried and they then they got married and then continued to live in New York City. And I was like, well, where did you live? You know, I, I asked a question and my mom slipped and revealed that they had <gasps> lived in sin. <laughs> So there it is. Everyone who well, knows me and my parents, they lived in sin before they got married <laughs> and they didn't tell us until yeah. after I got married. And instead, my dad didn't sit on any of our furniture and they judged us for it. So, well, and the that's fuck? the part that I find <laughs> like that's the whole part of this this book, too, that I think <sighs> I that I found really fascinating at the time. Right. Like I said, I was like throwing off the yoke of Catholicism. But, you know, the mother you know, like, it's clear that 
the mom and father had, right? I mean, it wasn't the born in shame or whatever, right? The older sister mm-hmm. was essentially like a, you know, they had to get married. Like a she six was month baby. Yeah, yeah, or whatever. And I feel like that's the part that I found so, um, right? Like the, what is it in people that makes them cling to the very rules that oppressed them? And right. then, like, force them down onto their, like, onto their kids. And I thought that that was the part, like, Brianna's, like, real, like, respect for the church as an institution in some ways. But does she go to church? No, only for the wedding. We only see her there. For yeah, the right. And that's, like, the part, too, that it's, like, that was the part that really spoke to me. It wasn't, like, active Catholicism. It was, like, cultural Catholicism cultural catholicism yeah that makes sense i mean that's cultural religion is always the more dangerous one um people who don't know their bible are always (laughs) the more dangerous ones sure so um but okay we're running like long um but i want to just make sure that we're covering we've covered everything that you have on your list because i think we've covered everything that is on my list Oh, except for this, this little weird thing. He gives her as a he gives her a car as a gift. He like fix her fixes her clunker and gives her like a brand new car. And I was like, oh my God, another gray fixes like give, throws <laughs> oh. out a heroine's clunker and gives her a new car. And I was like, is he L. James and Nora Roberts fan? <laughs> Maybe. And it's hard to think. So she there you go. Be. So that was that's my sleuthing for the day. But that's also really I just wanted to say it's interesting because there is this really there's a very like masculine kind of like patriarchal overtone of this book where like the men get together a couple times over the course of this book to like decide what they're going to do about their ladies, you know, money stock ownership. (laughs) And I I was sort of like, I don't like any of this business, gentlemen. No, I didn't Let that woman eat her tea cake. She doesn't have to eat a sandwich. (laughs) She can eat whatever she wants. She's pregnant. Oh God, no (laughs) kidding. The whole part about the, the, old couple the scammers oh yeah so weird yeah well i was really like finding myself i will say now i'm always like you know white people you can just get away with a whole lot i guess if you're just like cute and charming and show up or whatever (laughs) i was like okay sure um i was i one of the things i do remember liking about this book though was the the part where she's like he's she says, like, my father, if he had, like, seen how this all worked out, he would have thought this was, like, a grand joke. He wouldn't have even been upset about losing the money because it would have been a great story. Sure. Right? And I thought I thought there was something, like, really interesting in that. Um, just because I do think, like, Nora Roberts obviously is, like, a person who loves the power of a good story. And I really, I like that. I thought that was like kind of a clever way to make it like it's not about the, you know, it's not like the money was going to make or break anybody in the family and therefore they could sort of like look at it that way. Yeah. Well, and then there's the moment where they discover that the guy who's been like, who's been conning them all along, they, he took them to a bar and he ordered a drink and like (laughs) he looked really down on his luck and then. Turns out he owns the bar. <laughs> he owned the bar, right? Exactly. They're like, wait, what a minute. I also think I I would I, – the other thing I thought was really interesting was the 
the whole idea of like letters. Now, you and I have talked about this before on Epistolary, the Epistolary episode. Mm -hmm. You know, no one really writes letters anymore, you know, and our texts are all going to disappear. And I think a lot about the fact that, you know, there's no attic in my house. I do have letters still from my grandmother. I have letters that I wrote back and forth to people in college. I actually came across them fairly recently. And remember thinking like, this is all gone now. This Mm -hmm. whole idea of like finding a box in somebody's house that has like letters and pictures. It's like, and it kind of made me a little bit sad. That makes me sad every day. Yeah. Like, I'm really sad for archivists and, like, people who, yeah. like, like, who's going to find teeth in their, you know, books? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. There's something really bittersweet about about these books because they they are – they're time capsules. Yeah. And, like, pretty soon our time capsule is going to be, like – swipe right on Twinder, Tinder, you know, like, yeah, and that's right. not a good time castle. I don't approve. So, well, or I think like that your daughter's not old enough yet, but like the three of us have like a group text. Yeah. And I just thought like it disappears after a month. And I thought, you know, if I like printed these out and put them in a fucking book and then we brought it out in 10 years, we would like laugh ourselves silly. Yeah. Because well, sometimes they're really funny. You yeah, should maybe do it. Should. Well, You should do it for his last year before college. Yeah. That's actually a really cool idea. As like a gift for him. Yeah. Yeah. Because I will say, I I think I've told this story on the podcast, but I did print out all of the texts that um, Eric and I ever had, like during the, you know, year that we lived separately that or before you lived in sin before we lived in sin and (laughs) it's like 500 pages long so it will be a long book (laughs) and yeah and so and it's great and every once in a while I pull it down and I look at it and I'm like oh we were so cute and so in love and we're not like that anymore we're not cute anymore we're just people who have a kid and a dog and are tired um anyway Jennifer Born in Ice. Yes. You're uh, another one for the books. Another one in the books. What are we reading next? Do we even know? We're going to read Managed by Kristen Callahan. Managed. It's a double gen. At some point, we're going to do, we had said we were going to do a Kingdom of Dreams, but Sarah's running up against deadlines and we need need to do things that we can do. A Kingdom of Dreams is like 900 pages long, so you might want to start it now. (laughs) Yeah. But read Managed so in the meantime. We're going to do Managed by Kristen Callahan, which is a book that blooded me, but like five weeks yeah, ago. But we're I also going to talk about Fall, which is a book yes. that I love, 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 love. Oh. Yeah. Um, so read the, so if, you know, you can skip Idle. I mean, I wouldn't. It's great. But if you, you can skip it. But if you want to read Managed and then Fall, you'll get the twofer that we are going to give you. Yes. Um, but the book we'll spend the most time on is Managed. Uh, what else? We are running a survey. Okay, we so are. you guys, you maybe don't know this about me, but I was a statistician at one point. <laughs> well, I wasn't really a statistician. I was a market researcher. I did not get a degree in statistics. I learned on the fly, on the job. Um, but I, I was a market researcher for a while for a place that 
people have heard of. And um, I have, we, our podcasting host, PodTrack, um, has a sort of pre-made survey that we can run um, to learn more about you guys and what you like and what you don't like. And, uh, you know, what you wish that we would never, ever say again. And um, we would love it if you would fill it out. It is called, it is at URL survey.fadedmates.net. It's like 10 minutes long. It's got a ton of questions. It's pre-designed by the hosting company. So we couldn't take anything off, but you can skip anything that you feel uncomfortable talking to us about. We don't actually care about your median income, like, but it's there. You can tell us if you want. Great. Anyway, so please fill it out if you have time. We'll put links in the show notes. Uh, You can get pins from... Jen's website. My best friend, Kelly. Yes, at my website. And then you can get gear from uh, Jordan Denae, uh from my shop at jordandenae.com. Um, and we will put links to that in the show notes. We're reading Manage next. Next week, we have an interstitial. If we, if all of Romance Landia can just survive the week, that would be really great. Ooh. And that's that. Um, oh, like and subscribe and please leave us yeah. a review if you feel so inclined stick around for a call from a listener oh you can also call us um you can call us at 646-450-3766 and tell us about a book a book that blooded you oh and if you're on instagram follow us at faded mates pod and do our we launched an instagram reading challenge for 2020 and you can Join us and read a book that blooded you this month and then tell us about it on Instagram. You and I are real doers. We have a list of initiatives that we have to list at the end of every episode. It's getting longer every time. It's It's true. Also, coming soon, a book by me, maybe. (laughs) Keep writing, Sarah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If you're my editor, don't tell my editor I said that. And if you're my editor, I'm writing, I promise. I was like, get in your room with your cigarettes, Sarah. (laughs) Yeah. I really was like, what if I just get a word processor and a cigarette? (laughs) Have Eric bring you trays of soup outside your door. James Joyce just drank. And I don't think he ever did did any editing. So, no. There you go. No. Because no one understood what he was doing, so it's fine. (laughs) He was hunting big game. (laughs) He was. He hunted some big fucking game. All right. We love you all very, very much. Happy New Year. Bye, everybody. Okay, now I will ruin Grayson for you. Whoops. So basically, (laughs) this is terrible. (laughs) In book number three, which I read once and then like people talked about it on Twitter. You know, as you would tell from this book, the the sister and her husband were like a big part of this book and constantly reappearing. And a lot, actually. Like usually in a, you know, they appear for like a quick scene. They're really layered in. Well, the same thing happens in book three. And at one point, Grayson and his, um, and Maggie, I think, right? Isn't that her sister's name? Yes. Are sort of, are sort of talking. And what she says is there's something about, um... They start talking about the American Civil War for some reason. And Grayson says, most of us like to pretend we'd have fought for the South. And Maggie says, for slavery. We know more about slavery than you could begin to imagine. And he says, not for slavery, for a way of life. And I was like, you're now a trash hero. I'm going to put it in the bin. Now, (laughs) I know. 
now it's interesting. What it does say, there's this really interesting sentence before, right? Pleased a debate was in the offing. He shifted towards her. It's almost like he's playing devil's advocate. But, you know, as Courtney Blonde said on Twitter this week, the devil doesn't need your advocacy. So, Grayson, I kind of actually, is that terrible? So, yeah. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) Ruined it all with your crazy lost cause bullshit. Sorry. Too bad. Hello, my name is Jennifer Noe, and the romance novel that blooded me was Star King. Um, first in the Star series by Susan Grant. I was browsing the sci-fi and fantasy section in my local Barnes & Noble because I read lots of sci-fi and fantasy books as a tween, and I stumbled across this book, which has been misshelved in the sci-fi section instead of the romance section, and I read it, and it changed my life because it had a guaranteed happy ending for the heroine. And that, combined with the kissing, helped me so much because I have struggled with type 2 bipolar my entire life, which is um, characterized by severe, long-lasting depressive episodes. And ever since I converted to reading only romance as um, as far as novels go, um, I have not had a suicidal thought ever since. And now I am 30, and... Um, it is part of reading a romance, one to three romances a day is part of my treatment plan, along with the correct medication and um, diet and lifestyle factors. And um, this book turned me on to paranormal and fantasy and sci-fi romance and um, keeps me on an even keel. And now I'm um, over the past five years, I have been asymptomatic and have had no depressive episodes. And part of the reason is because I read at least one romance novel a day with a happy ending, and it's a genre of hope, love, and security, and it keeps me on an even keel. Thank you, and goodbye. Goodbye. 